This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, as we get close to winding up the month of February, we begin with yours truly, Johnny Dollar. As originally conceived, Johnny Dollar was a smart, tough, wisecracking detective who tossed silver dollar tips to waiters and bellhops. Dick Powell starred in the audition show recorded in 1948, but withdrew from the role in favor of other projects. The role instead went to Charles Russell, whom we'll hear tonight. The show, for which Powell auditioned, was originally titled Yours Truly, Lloyd London. With the first three actors to play Johnny Dollar, radio actor Russell and movie tough guys Edmund O'Brien and John Lund, there was little to distinguish Johnny Dollar from the other detective series at the time, Richard Diamond, Philip Marlowe, and Sam Spade. While always a friend to the police, Johnny wasn't necessarily a stickler for the strictest interpretation of the law. He was willing to let some things slide to satisfy his own sense of justice as long as the interests of his employer were also protected. The series ended in September 1954. Now, in tonight's show, we'll hear how sometimes Johnny was forced to work with people he didn't really want to. There's the episode entitled, The Parakoff Policy. The Columbia Broadcasting System presents Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. The next half hour has its baggage packed to take a trip with America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, Johnny Dollar. At insurance investigation, he is just an expert. At making out his expense account, he is an absolute genius. Expense account, submitted by investigator Johnny Dollar. To Home Office, East Coast Underwriters, Terminal Building, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of my expenditures and the investigation regarding the Paracorp policy for your company. Expense account item one. Plane fare to Benton, Ohio, $40.04. Item two, plane fare Benton back to Hartford, $40.04. Explanation, purchase two one-way tickets. Because of the type of case I'm usually assigned, I never press my luck by buying round trips. This time, I was almost right. Expense account item three. Cab fare, airport to Valley Hotel. $2.20. Tip to driver. Gee, a dollar. Naturally. There'll be steak on the table at night. Welcome to Warfare City. Hey, Norman. Yes, sir. Well, what can I do for you, sir? Bring my bag inside, will you? Here. A dollar. Always. All you need is a dollar and a friend. Yeah, but you tell me you have a lot of strange people in the house. 
Good evening, sir. Hello. You have a reservation for Johnny Dollar? Uh, oh, yes. Mr. Dollar's in his room. He checked in about 8 o'clock. Huh? Oh, I guess I ain't the man I used to be. What room is he in? Oh, sorry, sir. I'm not permitted to tell you that. I can phone him. Oh, no, never mind. Uh, let me have one of those envelopes, will you? I'd like to leave my card for this Mr. Dollar. Uh, yes. And here you are. Thanks. Here. Just pop this in his box. The clerk popped the envelope into box number 207. And I popped myself into an elevator going up to room 207. I'd come to Benton to investigate a murder, and in just a matter of minutes, I found myself ready to commit one. Yes? Who is it? A bellboy, sir. A package from Hartford. Uh, uh, just a minute. Package for me? Special delivery. Stop it. Come on, get up on your feet. Uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Take it easy. You must be Johnny Dollar. Sometimes strangers in a hotel room can be a lot of fun, but not when they're using my name. What's your angle? Uh, listen, Dollar, I can explain everything. It better be good and it better be fast. I, I didn't want to be seen waiting for you in the lobby, and it's important that I talk with you before anybody else does. That's why I'm here. I'm Eric Barker. Oh, the defense attorney in this Parakoff thing, huh? Well, I hope you're better at defending your client than you are at defending yourself. Uh, whether my client goes to the chair or not, unfortunately, has nothing to do with my being a good lawyer. That's what I wanted to talk to you about. Hmm, well, I suppose this is one time when the attorney won't mind relinquishing the floor. Why don't you get up on your feet? Yeah, thanks. I will. Now, look, I'm, I'm no coward, Dollar. But if either one of us is going to get any place on this case, we'll have to work together. Now, I need your help. And I need it badly. I do a single act, sorry. Now, don't be hasty. I can help you, too. Just how much do you know about the Parakoff murder? All I know is it's one of the screwiest cases I've ever run into. All over the country, beneficiaries are knocking off insured people. But not here in Benton. Oh, no, here they tell the insured man, uh, Harlan Wolf, knocked off his beneficiary and partner, Parakoff. And now I've got the jolly assignment of trying to keep the state from executing the insured man. My employer, East Coast Underwriters isn't anxious to see $100,000 of their money burn up on the electric chair. Well, at least we're both stuck with the same tough job. Now, look, I'll tell you a few things I already know, and you fill it in from there. All I know is that Parakoff was shot to death, and that his business partner, your client, Harlan Wolf, was picked up leaving town and being held for the murder. What have they got against him? Only what they found on him. That's enough. The murder weapon. Any, any witnesses? One. Parakoff's wife, Marsha, an eyewitness. Hmm. A murder weapon and an eyewitness. Well, it seems, at least at first glance, anyway, that the state of Ohio will be receiving a large electric bill one day soon. Hey, is there any chance of my seeing Wolf? No, not before he's indicted. Mm, great. Dollar, Harlan Wolf shot Parakoff in self-defense. There was no premeditation. Well, I'm convinced that I could get him off with a second-degree manslaughter verdict if it weren't for the tactics of the prosecution. Mm, that's right. Well, they not only have intimidated my character witnesses, they've suborned their own to perjury. That's the sort of thing I'm up against. Well, as the insurance companies keep on saying, never say die. So where can I find the widow, Parakoff? Well, if they aren't holding her in protective custody so nobody can question her, she may be at home. That's 1375 96th Street. That's a lot of figures. By the way, how's hers? Expense account item four. Cab fare to home a murdered man and the girl he left behind him. $2.40. I shivered all the way out to the suburbs, but not from fear or anticipation. A simple case of summer shorts in red flannel weather. The Paracord place was obviously the product of a good income and a bad architect. It looked like a great big wedding cake, and Mother Nature had mercifully iced the confection. 
The front walk was white and untrammeled as a driven snow. As a matter of fact, that's what it was. Three inches of it. Which meant that Marsha hadn't had a visitor in the past couple of hours. I was playing detective. And somebody inside was playing the radio. So, I played Peeping Tom. And loved every second of it. I couldn't see her face, but she had a lovely profile. I hastened to the door. were green. Her hair stopped you cold, and then her eyes gave you the ghost signal. Yes? Would you mind saving that yes for later? I beg your pardon? Well, I've come here to ask your help, and I hope you'll say yes. My name is Johnny Dollar. I've been sent to Benton to investigate the death of your husband. Well, why? Has this turned into a federal case? No, no, I'm from the insurance company. Oh, come in. Thanks. Say, uh, where can I put my coat? The snow will melt all over your carpet. Let it melt. Just throw your coat any place. Okay. Hmm. Good shot. Come on in by the fireplace. It's nice and warm. I should have brought some chestnuts. I could have followed her with my eyes closed. She headed for the living room, leaving a pathway of perfumed air behind her, and I didn't waste a breath of it. Say, that's nice perfume. Sit down. Thanks. Hey, you have good taste. That chair is a genuine antique. Oh? If you can stand a compliment before we get down to business, you certainly furnish a room. Oh, most of the things are just reproduction. Not the things I'm talking about. Oh, you mean me. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Oh, this is a happy surprise. I expected to find someone fatter and fortier. My husband was. And now, uh, what about his insurance? Oh, you got me wrong. You see... I'm working for the company that insured the man being held for the murder of your husband, Arlen Wolf. What do you want from me? Just your story of what happened. Oh, that I can't do. The district attorney had a long talk with me about it. I'm not supposed to say anything to anybody about it until the trial. Well, I'm not asking you for any state secrets. I just want to want you to save me a trip down to the morgue. Oh, don't be so brutal. Oh, sorry. I didn't uh, realize you were still in mourning. That negligee confused me. Anyway, I meant the newspaper morgue. That's what they call their files. You gave them a story. Why won't you give it to me? I told you I can't. Okay. Sorry I wasted your time. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Don't go. Well, you aren't exactly cooperating. Oh, please sit down. I'm going crazy in this house alone all the time. Can't we find something else to talk about? Sure. Later. First things first. That makes sense. All right. I don't see how it could be wrong to tell you what's already been in the newspapers, Johnny. Yeah, that's right. Go ahead. All right. Well, Harlan Wolf and I were here in this room alone. We were discussing business. Business? Business. The Highland Coal Corporation. My husband was its president. Harlan Wolf is a secretary treasurer, and uh, I'm the vice president. <sighs> I can't resist this. But your kind of businesswoman makes this anthracite heart of mine feel very bituminous. What? I don't get it. Let it go. So, you and Wolf were sitting here talking about your coal business. Where were you sitting? Well, I was sitting over there at the desk. How about Wolf? He was sitting where you are right now. And then my husband came home. And no doubt accused you and the secretary-treasurer of putting in too much overtime. Is that it? Yes. Oh, it was terrible. They fought, and finally Harlan ran over to the couch over there and pulled his gun out of his overcoat pocket and, and started pulling the trigger. Who called the police? The neighbors? No. 
I did. Well, that's all there is to it. That's all I want to know. I didn't hear it, did he? No. Now, how about using those big shoulders of yours for throwing a log on the fire? Sure. I'll, uh, I'll go outside and get one. No, there are logs in here. Mm-mm. I'd rather go outside and get one that's a little damp. They burn much slower. Oh. Well, then, while you're at it, get a big one. Marsha gazing into the fire, called a cab and stepped out into the cold night air to wait for it. I went down the front walk with my mind on what was behind me instead of what lay ahead. Hey, Dollar! Out of the white snow loomed two very large blue police uniforms, completely filled. Get out of this Barakoff mess, Dollar. As a matter of fact, get out of this town. Why, officer? I'm just beginning to like it here. Look, this is from the top that makes it official. We've got the guilty man. We don't want any trouble. Look, you go back to the top and tell them that this is one sure way of getting trouble. They told us how to answer that one, too. I did my best. My best to break every one of the Marquis of Queensbury rules. I know I was fighting a losing fight, but I was fighting for a little time. And that's all I got. A fist never stopped and my head seemed to feel like a ping-pong ball in a four-handed game. Suddenly, things looked up. Me, flat on my back in the snow, seeing stars. Then a boot came flying toward my head and switched off all the pretty lights. In just a minute, we'll bring you the second act of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. But first, we want to remind you that next Sunday night, CBS once more will bring you ten great shows filled with great stars and complete with comedy, drama, and mystery. Betty Davis will make her first appearance on The Prudential Hour, co-starring with Ray Milland in a gripping story of a woman who has to bridge a lifetime in three short hours. Once more, you'll hear those 90 non-stop minutes of mirth with Spike Jones, Jack Benny, and Amos and Andy in succession. There'll be more comedy, more drama following rapidly. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Lumen Abner, Helen Hayes, Eve Arden, Life with Luigi... It pays to be ignorant. Staying tuned to CBS on Sunday nights guarantees you the greatest entertainment on the greatest listening night of all. These programs are regular Sunday night features on most of these same CBS stations. And, of course, Jack Benny comes to you over them all. And now, back to yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Continuing expense account submitted by Johnny Dollar. To the Home Office, East Coast Underwriters, Terminal Building, Hartford, Connecticut. Expense account item five, medical supplies, bonded, $7. Oh, and uh, here's something I'll give you for free. A handy help for your regularly employed insurance investigators. When I find myself overwhelmed in a brawl with unknown assailants, cops included, I do my best to take away more than just bruises and contusions. During my career, I've picked more pockets than a rack boy in a pool room. And I added one more to the score during the brawl in front of the Parakoff house just before I went bye-bye in the snow. Mr. Wake up. Come on, come on, wake up. You'll catch your death of cold. Did you call a cab? Yeah, I think so. Holy smokes, your face. Was you robbed? 
What's the matter? Isn't it there? Huh? Here, I'll give you a hand. Thanks. Holy smoke. When I first seen you laying there, I thought you was a snowman tipped over. How do you feel, cold? Forevermore, I shall look kindly upon the haddock in the deep freeze. Huh? Hey, hey, what are you looking for? I'm looking for a wallet. Did you lose it? First I found it, then I lost it. Oh, oh yeah, here it is. Come on, let's get out of here. Where to, mister? Police headquarters? Police headquarters? Over my dead body. Expense account, item six. Breakfast in bed, $2.40. Expense account, item seven. Photographic work, $6. For taking pictures of contents of wallet I lifted from the police uniform the night before. Expense account, item eight. 70 cents cab fare to office of Edmund Byron, district attorney. Sorry to have kept you waiting, Bob. Good heavens, man, your face. Polonius assault? Yeah. Well, I got a flash for you. Not by person or persons unknown. Splendid. Uh, you wish to prefer charges? Yeah, you're half right again. But not for felonious assault and not against the guys who gave me this going over last night. What are you talking about? You know what I'm talking about. There were a couple of your harness bulls. I don't, I don't want you to waste any time denying it, so forget it. I don't have the slightest idea what this is all about, Dollar. I said forget it. I want to talk about something more important. You're holding Harlan Wolf for the Parakoff murder. Now, what I want to know is... When are you going to hand down your indictment and what it's going to be? First thing in the morning, first-degree murder. Anything else you want to know before I have you thrown out of here? Yeah. How do I get mixed up in these rhubarbs? Expense account, item 10, five cents. A phone call to my partner in despair, Eric Barker, attorney for the defense, who agreed to lend me a set of police photographs of the scene of the crime and the principles involved. Karakoff looked very dead. Marsha looked very frightened. And the accused, Harlan Wolf, looked very fat. The pictures of the scene of the crime indicated the shooting occurred with Karakoff and Wolf standing face to face, and that all of the bullets had gone banging straight into the right side of Karakoff's body. I set up an appointment to meet Parker at three that afternoon, and decided to make the most of the time in between by seeing what kind of of a trade I could make on that wallet I'd picked up during the winter sports of the night before. The name in it was Ben Arnold, and the address was disreputable. I don't want any brushes. What a coincidence. I'm not selling any. What do you want? I'm looking for Ben Arnold. Who isn't? You promised me you'd be home by now. By this time, I should know better. Okay, I'll wait. Outside. Inside. Hey, wait a minute. Ben won't like this. Well, that makes it even. I don't like Ben. Look, I don't want any trouble. Okay, then don't make any trouble. Well, what do you want here, anyway? Oh, let's just say I drop by for an unfriendly visit. If Ben finds you here, it'll get real unfriendly. I'm warning you, get out of here. Ain't that face of yours marked up enough? Well, that mouse hanging under your eye isn't exactly a beauty mark. Ben really spreads his blessings, doesn't he? Hey. Dad really spread one blessing right there, right there close in front of me. It was a small room, about the size of a large closet, with a clothes sprawl high and low, making the whole place look like a collapsed clothesline. And there, hanging on the back of the door, was Ben Arnold's police uniform. My eyes popped out, pushed one of its shiny brass buttons, and rang the bell. 
there, like little brass love letters on the brass, stood the initials CPD. And CPD were never the initials of the Benton Police Department. Thanks for seeing me so quickly, Barker. Dollar, you are a... Good Lord, what happened to your face? A couple of police uniforms with overstuffed shoulders did this to me last night. Oh, there you are. I warned you. We're up against a ruthless bunch. Something should be done about it. Are using the police force to beat up anybody who stands in their way? No, Barker. They were wearing uniforms, but they weren't police. What? Well, I'm afraid I don't follow you. Barker, can you give me one good reason for a Benton cop to be wearing an out-of-town uniform? And, And don't tell me they got mixed up at the cleaners. Out of town uniform? Yeah. Yeah, and here's another one. If the law enforcement setup here is so rotten, why would they go to all the trouble of dressing up an outsider to do their muscle work? Well, I don't know. What I mean is, did they? Who else would do it? Certainly couldn't have been Marsha. Why not? The policy I'm interested in is the one that Parakoff, as president of that uh, coal company, took out on Wolf's life because of his importance to the company. That kind of policy is taken out every day. But Marsha as vice president of that coal company, is in line to collect on that policy if Wolf goes to the chair. But why should Wolf admit to the shooting? He has nothing to gain. There's life to lose. Now, look. Marsha told me that the night of the murder, she and Wolf were alone in the house talking about the coal business. And then she didn't know what I meant when I used the words bituminous and anthracite. <sighs> Whatever Marsha had on the fire that night with Wolf, it wasn't coal. No. Well, you're right about that. Marsha and Wolf were having some kind of romance. Okay. So let's say Marsha shot her husband. Let's say Wolf is madly in love with her. Let's say she promises Wolf that she will testify he shot her husband in self-defense. Marsha gets away with murder, Wolf gets away with a light sentence, so none at all, and then Wolf gets away with a girl. That makes sense. Yeah, but what makes you think this is even possible? Barker, somebody had me beat up last night. I say the prosecution wouldn't have bothered sending fake cops. So, the question is, who would? There's one thing I've got to check, and check fast. Yes, what's that? Those police photos you gave me show that Parakoff was shot by a left-handed shooter. And that's one of the prosecution's strongest points. Wolf was left-handed. Well, that doesn't prove that Marsha isn't. Parker, I'm going out and see Mrs. Parkin. Mrs. Parakoff. And there's only one thing I really hope. That she's left-handed? Uh-uh. That she's wearing that same negligee she had on last night. Hello, Marsha. Can I come in? Why, John... Johnny, what happened to your face? Oh, I didn't get down to the beauty parlor today. You look like you've been fighting. Uh Uh-huh. Not too well, but wisely. Well, come on in the other room. And, uh... How about throwing another log on the fire? You're a real little firebug, aren't you? You should have lived back in old Nero's time. Whose time? Mm, Never mind. I'll tell you what, I'll build the fire if you light it. I'd love to. Oh, you're getting a dry one from inside. Last night you went all the way outside to get one that would burn for a long time. Oh, that was last night. You got some paper? Mm -hmm, Here's some. Mm, There we are. Okay, hot point. Here's my letter. Touch it off. Okay. There, that'll do it. Come on. Sit down over here. Over here will do. This chair is a perfect fit for me. Which makes me think, 
Maybe the state of Ohio has a chair that's a perfect fit for you. What are you talking about? Well, if you want to play games, I'll read you the rules. You know, there's a big advantage in being on my side of investigation. Fellas in my racket have the benefit of a lot of experience. But murderers, well, almost everyone is inexperienced at that business. One moment they aren't murderers, the next moment they are. Johnny, please. Now, let's have a look at what's on my side. For instance, from the empty shells thrown off by an automatic pistol, the experts can get a better picture of a murder scene than they can from the witnesses. Your husband was killed by a gun that was held approximately 18 inches away and directly in front of him. And the bullets entered the right half of his body. That means he was killed by someone who shoots left-handed. Harlan Wolf is left-handed. You can ask him. He'll tell you. I know that. And so are you. Anybody who lights a cigarette lighter with your left hand is left-handed, which makes you a good candidate. That doesn't prove anything. No? No, I guess it doesn't. But this chair I'm sitting in does. What do you mean? Last night you told me Wolf was sitting in it when your husband came home. And that statement makes you a liar. Look, I'm trained down to the point where my belt is ready to sue my hips for non-support. And I can just get into this thing. And Wells' Wolf's picture shows that he's got a beam like the Queen Mary. He wasn't in this chair. Which makes me think he wasn't even in this room when your husband was killed. All right. So I'm a liar. That doesn't mean I'm a killer. Marsha, investigators can make a lot of mistakes. But a murderer can only make one. And you've made a big one. I tell you, I'm no murderer. You've got to believe me, Johnny. I'll tell you everything. You're right. Harlan Wolf wasn't here. That's enough, Marsha. Shut up. Eric, what are we going to do? He knows. Hey, keep quiet. Oh, Barker, a defense attorney, you're acting mighty offensive. We'll have to get rid of him, Eric. Just as soon as we get rid of something else. Dollar, you've only got one thing on me. Ben Arnold's wallet. And I want that. Now. You're welcome to it, Parker. But it might interest you to know that I've had this picture taken this morning. Your phony policeman's wallet and everything in it. And copies are in the mail right now. The insurance company won't have any trouble connecting you with the comedy cops who beat me up last night. You're bluffing. Well, there's something else I've got on you, Barker. This morning, when I was lying in bed, counting the bumps on my head, it suddenly occurred to me that you were the only one who knew where I was going last night. So you must have been the one who had me roughed up. It also does my heart good to see you standing there with that gun in your left hand, which makes you a candidate, too. Shoot him! Shoot him, Eric! You're a lawyer, Barker. What's your legal opinion? Are you just an accessory after the fact or before the fact? Or are you the murderer? What are you waiting for? Shoot him! Kill him, I tell you! Shut up, Marsha! Dollar, stand still. If you won't, I will. Give me that gun. Marsha, look out. When Marsha made a rush to grab the gun from Barker, she got between me and the gun, and I dove in behind her, arms straight out, picked her up, and heaved. <laughs> Marsha went smashing into Barker, and I went in a frantic treasure hunt through that flailing mass of a snorting, angry bodies to find the head that held the gun. Believe me, it was no place for a lady, but Marsha was no lady. I grabbed deep in between them and pushed Barker's gun hand up another go-round, and just to make sure the rest was strictly a fist fight, jammed my trigger finger in over his and pumped all until all the shots went to the ceiling. The way the plaster was falling, it was like another fight in the snow. But this time, Johnny Dollar came up heads instead of tails. Eric! 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 Come on, Barker. Up you come. Uh, 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 down you go. Uh, oh, oh, Eric! All right, Marcia. All right. When I first met you last night, I asked you please to save a yes for later. I'm going to ask you a few little questions. If I'm right, let's hear it. 
One. Did you kill your husbands? Okay, two. Did Eric Barker shoot your husband? Did you kill Harlan Wolf? Tell him you did it and talk him into taking this rap, this rap for you? It was all Eric's idea. He said we'd get rid of my husband and Wolf and... And collect their insurance. Well, Marcia, there's just one more question. Are you or aren't you going to call the district attorney and invite him over here? Yes. Expense account item 11. $12.40 as lunch for the district attorney, who also turned out to be left-handed. <laughs> and a very nice guy to boot. We had a lot in common. It was the first case either one of us had ever worked on where the defense had been working harder than the state to bring in a conviction. Also, that it was the first case where everybody on both sides turned out to be guilty. Defense attorney Eric Barker of murder, his girlfriend Marcia Parakoff of being an accessory before and after the fact, and Harlan Wolf of conspiracy to defraud. Ha! No wonder the nation's jails are getting overcrowded. Expense account item 12, $700. Uh, side trip to Miami, Florida. Purpose, uh... uh <clears throat> Purpose, uh, to recover from catching 40 winks and uh, a miserable cold in Benton, Ohio, snowbank. Hey, Johnny, come on in. The water's fine. Expense account total, $1,230.20. Signed, yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Stay tuned for Fibber McGee and Molly next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Fibber McGee and Molly. It was an American radio comedy series, in fact, one of the most popular and enduring radio series of its time. The title characters were created and portrayed by Jim and Marion Jordan, a real-life husband and wife team that had been working in radio since the 1920s. Here's the episode first broadcast in 1940. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Marion and Jim Jordan as Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Billy Mills Orchestra, and our new vocal feature, The King's Men. The show opens with Holy Smoke, Can't You Take a Joke? Take a joke, take a joke, take a joke. That was the lipstick on my tie. That was only cherry pie. Holy smoke, can't you take a joke? Take a joke, take a joke, take a joke. That was the lipstick on my tie. That was only cherry pie. Holy smoke, can't you take
to start the day off is to get out of bed on the wrong side, especially if your bed is right next to an open window. So here, climbing back through the window in his pajamas, holding his ears against the cold as his wife holds her ears against his language, we find Fibber McGee and Molly. Dead rat, a dead rat, rat of an architect that planned a window right next to a bed. Here, help me get in through this window, Molly. Oh, you poor dear. Oh, oh that dirty... Th- McGee, watch your language. And shut the window. It's cold in here. It's colder out there. Oh. Rat the dead rat. I'm so sorry, dearie. How'd you happen to fall out? I had a nightmare. <laughs> All night long, I dreamt that I couldn't get to sleep. <laughs> what a night It was terrible Well, that's too bad well, Hurry up and get your clothes on, dearie I'll have breakfast ready in a jiffy And I'll tell you right now, Mrs. McGee I'm not going to shave today You're not? No, I'm not, and that's definite, see? All right, sweetheart I don't blame you a bit Well, I... Huh? <laughs> what was that? I said I don't blame you a bit You're just as handsome to me With or without a shave <laughs> Well, every other time I wanted to go without shaving, you says, get in there and shave. Now, never mind what I used to say. I could be wrong, couldn't I? You could be wrong. <laughs> hey, I'm going back to bed. I'm still dreaming. <laughs> now, now, come on to breakfast. Just put on your robe and slippers. What? You mean you're going to let me come to breakfast in my bathrobe? Certainly. And here's the morning paper. You can read it whilst I make the toast. Well, well, gee, thanks, Molly. I, Hey, uh, what are we going to have this morning? Same old wheatsy bitsies, I suppose. <laughs> well, it was you that insisted on our getting the wheatsy bitsies, did he? Uh, it was? Yes. You said they'd improve your performance at first base. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got a nasty note from Judge Landis. <laughs> and I ain't the only one either. <laughs> I'm tired of wheatsy bitsies, Molly. Why don't we have wheat cakes and sausages once in a while? That's just what we're having this morning. Huh? And I got some genuine Vermont maple syrup, too. Oh, boy, Vermont maple syrup. When did you get that? Yesterday. I didn't see it. Well, you wouldn't have recognized it. It was packed by the Farley Packing Company and labeled Republican Sack. <laughs> Dad rat the dad rat Now, what's the matter? I thought that was a pretty good joke. Yeah, but you know how radio is. Now, I gotta think up one to annoy the Democrats. <laughs> you, uh, you really don't mind if I don't shave, Molly? Not a bit, 
Not a bit. Don't want me to shave no, at all? No, I just want you to be comfortable and happy. Now come to breakfast. Okay, wait till I shave. <laughs> Answer the door, dearie. I want to start fixing the wheat cake. Okay, I'll get it. Who can be around here at this time? Oh, there, McGee. Good morning, good morning. <laughs> Don't give me that cheery good morning stuff, Gildersleeve. You can't be your old sourpuss self. Don't talk to me. My old sourpuss self, eh? Yeah, that's very good. <laughs> My, that's a handsome bathrobe you have on there, McGee. Yeah. It, it is a bathrobe, isn't it? <laughs> oh, and that's a neat idea there, using a piece of old clothesline for a belt. <laughs> I imagine it's very comfortable. Well, you're wrong. It ain't. It cuts like a knife. McGee, breakfast is nearly ready. Oh, good morning, Mr. Gildersleeve. Good morning, Mrs. McGee. A lovely day, isn't it? It is not. It's terrible. I never see such a lousy well, by day. By the way, McGee, the reason I stopped by was to bring you these ducks. Oh. Yes. A friend of mine went out hunting yesterday and gave me more than I could use. Here you are. Oh, thank you, Mr. Gildersleeve. Oh, forget it, forget it. After all, there's nothing like having good neighbors, is there? <laughs> well, good day, Mrs. McGee. Good day, Fibber. Goodbye, Mr. Gildersleeve. What's got into that guy, anyway? I think he ought to go see a skin specialist. What's the matter with his skin? It's getting so thick I can't insult him anymore. <laughs> well, throw them moth-eating mallards out in the garbage can and let's have breakfast, Molly. Oh, well, all right, dearie. I'll throw them out right away. Anything you say. Good, and I got... What was that? I said anything you say, McGee. You know best. <laughs> oh, no, I don't, Molly. <laughs> Not always. Why, of course you do. I... I do? Certainly. Well, okay. Let's keep the ducks, then. <laughs> no use throwing away good food, is there? No, and I'm sorry I suggested it. Oh, forget it, Molly. We'll all make mistakes. You're just impulsive. I know Now come on and have your breakfast I've got some nice country sausage Can't we have a minute's quiet in this house? Here I am half sick with the indigestion And I can't even eat my wheat cakes and pork sausage in peace Calm yourself, McGee I'll see who it is Come in Hello there, daughter Hello, Johnny How you fixed for Valentine? I got some... Got some beauties here with cupids on them, but I'd advise you not to take them. What's the matter with the cupids? Oh, too risque, daughter. <laughs> Kids ain't dressed decent. <laughs> oh. Hey? Don't believe we want any, old-timer. Personally, I can never decide between the comic ones and the sentimental ones. Never know whether to wow them or woo them. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good, Johnny. And that's exactly the way I hear it. It is? Yep. Detail for detail? Yep. Word for word? Yep. Well, not quite, Johnny. The way I hear it, one fellow says to tell the fellow, Hey, says, <laughs> I see where they had quite a cold snap down south. I'll say the did, says t'other feller. Got so cold, the bull weevils were swapping a bale of cotton for a pound of wool. <laughs> say, uh, didn't you get up kind of early today, Johnny? Oh, no, this is not early for me. I used to get up at four o'clock when I was a bugler in the Army. Bugler, eh? Yep, and a good one, too. I do say so myself. Even got decorated by General Pershing. 
As he was pinning the medal on me, he says, Boys, he says, there's nobody in the army that knows the bugle like McGee. Bugle knows McGee, I was known as an end Oh, my. Bugle knows McGee, the brainiest blower of the battle bazooka that ever bulldozed a battalion of brave boys to bolt bed and blanket for bath and breakfast by blaring a bed on the bellows on the brass bagpipe, bringing bravos and bouquets by my brilliant performance of ballads at banquets, benefits, and barbecues, and boosted as the Beethoven of the bugle from Mr. Brown's way back in Europe. What's that I smell? Your cakes and carrots. <laughs> Cakes and sausage good. I'm so dead red stuffed I could hardly get dressed. Look, I can't even get my belt around me. That's the strap off your wristwatch, dearie. Huh? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I wondered what made that buckle tick like that. <laughs> I see you shaved, too. Yeah, I didn't want this Orson Welles guy to get the idea he'd started a fad. <laughs> oh, boy, am I stuffed. Well, come on, let's go for a walk, Molly. All right, dearie. Let me help you on with your coat. Huh? Oh, there. My, you look so well in a Mackinac. <laughs> but I guess you're just the outdoor type. Oh, go on, am I really? Oh, shucks, honey. Hey, where's my other mitten? <laughs> Dear. McGee, if you lose those mittens once more, I'll have to put the string back on them. <laughs> okay, I'll be careful. Let's go, Molly. Oh, my, my, it's lovely. Hey, out. don't walk so fast, Molly. I'm too full of breakfast. All right. Here, let's hold hands. Huh? Oh, oh, okay. You know, we ought to uh, do... Now, look, the... McGee. Huh? Here comes Mrs. Uppington. Uh-oh. Look at her walking along with her nose up in the air. She holds her head so high, she's got a double chin on the back of her neck. <laughs> well, I'm afraid we'll have to stop and talk to the old cat. She's... Oh, how do you do, Mrs. Uppington? So nice to see you. Oh, how do you do, Mrs. McGee? And Mr. McGee? Hi, Uppy. <laughs> what you limping for, Uppy? You got a Charlie horse? Well, if she has, I'll bet it's a thoroughbred. <laughs> well, it's really a result of trying to form our Whistle Vista Concert Orchestra oh. Yes, you see, when Maestro Mills took me to reclaim some of the band instruments from the, um, uh, oh, now, what do you call those quaint little novelty stores with the three big grapefruit over the door? Oh, uh, could they perchance be, uh, hawk shops? Oh, yes, Hawkshaw. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, you know, I always believed those were some sort of fruit and vegetable store. <laughs> well, they are kind of uppy in a way. That's where you go to trade your old 10-carat turnip for five berries. <laughs> oh, boy, am I hot tonight. <laughs> What's that got to do with your limp, Uppy? Oh, oh, yes. yes oh, limp. really, I, I'm almost ashamed to tell you it's so ridiculous. Oh, come on. <laughs> well, you see, the back seat of my town car was simply filled with band instruments, and I, well, somehow I got trapped in a tuba. <laughs> oh, really, such a time as we had. <laughs> and to extricate me, Dr. Mills had to play three choruses of Ain't You Coming Out? <laughs> 
in a violin instead of a tuba. Huh? I was all set with a crack about the cat and the fiddle. <laughs> ah, well. Well, come on, Molly. Keep walking. I'm cold. We don't... Oh, hello, up. Mr. Wilcox. Well, hello there, folks. Out for a little constitutional? No, just taking a walk. <laughs> so, well, walking is great stuff, all right. Yeah. But that isn't the way I get my exercise. Uh-oh. Folks, in the year 1900 A.D., a little child was born. And as he toddled across the kitchen floor of a modest little home in Omaha, Nebraska, he saw in his childish imagination a vision. A vision of himself as a grown man still toddling about a kitchen floor. <laughs> that floor is your floor, folks. And that man stands before us tonight, Harlow Wilcox. <laughs> you take it from there, Harpo. <laughs> What in the world are you talking about? I was about to tell you how I got my daily exercise. Oh, well, how do you get your exercise, Mr. Wilcox? Yes, Harlow. As the Indian chief said to his long-lost brother, who he hadn't seen for 25 years, because he'd been working in the mint, posing for pennies, how? <laughs> Why, uh, it's simple. Setting up exercises in the morning, a brisk canter through the park, hour or so of handball in the gym, and, uh... Well, go on. Don't you get any exercise uh, delivering those big cans of, uh... Oh, you know. Oh, yes, that too. Well, glad to have seen you looking so well, Fibber. Keep it up, pal. We're all proud of you. Well, so long, Molly. Take good care of that old Fibber boy. Ah, uh, goodbye, Mr. Wilcox. <laughs> Guy. Well, as the president says when they asked him about his third term. <laughs> Molly, do you realize he didn't say a word about Johnson's glow coat? Why, he didn't, did he? Or how marvelous Johnson's self-polishing glow coat is for linoleum floors? And did you hear how he talked about me? They're proud of me, he says. An old fibber boy. Well, I don't see anything wrong in that. We are proud of you. Why, Hey, what is all this, anyway? What's what? Everybody being so dad red and nice to me. First Gildersleeve comes along... Ah, oh, there. Good day, short, sharp, and shipshape. <laughs> Good day to you, my dear. Hi, Boomer. Been looking for you, charming people. Want to present you with a couple of tickets to the preview of Pinocchio. Oh, how nice. Oh, come off of it, Boomer. You don't give nobody nothing. What's the angle? There is no angle, worm. <laughs> Just because I love you, chum. <laughs> now let me see where I put those tickets for Pinocchio. Pinocchio, Pinocchio. I think it's all jokio. <laughs> now let me see. Here's a letter from my nephew, Agamemnon. Says he would have passed a bar examination, but he flunked in dry martinis. <laughs> Handful of uh, crossword puzzles. Ah, yes. I was saving those for a brainy day. Hmm, what's this? Oh, here's a funeral notice of an old friend of mine. Poor lad. He was an expert at telling mushrooms from toadstools. He thought. <laughs> yeah, so here's a neat little stiletto. Hope to play a game of mumbledy peg on a certain party's epiglottis tonight. <laughs> Well, well, imagine this. Here they are, two tickets to Pinocchio. 
I'm not at all, my dear. Glad to do it. Always been an admirer of yours and your handsome little husband. Good day. My handsome little husband. <laughs> oh, Molly, come on. What goes on here? I'll get a nasty answer out of somebody if it takes all the king's horses and all the king's men. Are the king's horses here? No, but the king's men are. Huh? Oh, oh, that's swell. Folks, we present the king's men who will sing a beloved old American classic, The King's Men. Old MacDonald had a farm, E-I-E-I-O He played the bagpipes all day long, E-I-E-I-O Old MacDonald had a farm, E-I-E-I-O And on his farm he played some golf, E-I-E-I-O A four for here and a four there Here for there forever, what for me? Old MacDonald had a farm, E-I-E-I-O He used a putter on the green, E-I-E-I-O You make me eat all them wheat cakes and sausages, Molly. Uh, wasn't that terrible of me? Oh, I'm such a bad girl for you, aren't I? Awesome. Yeah, I wish I knew what was going on around here. There's so dad rat and much sweetness and light, I'm getting a little suspicious. What's the matter, Molly? Oh, here comes that little girl from across the street, McGee. Good. Maybe I can pick a fight with her. Now, McGee, pick a fight with somebody your own size. Well, she's just about the size of the fight I want to pick. <laughs> Hi, little girl. 
Hi, mister. What you doing? Taking a walk. Where to? Oh, no place. Hmm? I says no place. Not walking anywhere. Well, Keegan, how do you know when you get there, hmm? <laughs> now, listen, sis. If I ain't in any mood for polite chit-chat, now let me pass. I gotta finish my walk. Okay. Can I take a walk with you, please, mister? Can I please? I like you. <laughs> no, you can't take a walk with me. This is walk for my health. Oh. Well, remember what Confucius said. What did Confucius say? Confucius say, quote, Man take long walk, matter of health. Lady take long walk, matter of form, unquote. <laughs> I don't believe there ever was a guy named Confucius. Me either, I betcha. Huh? Hmm? Don't you think Confucius ever lived? No. Huh? <laughs> no. I think he was the little Mandarin who wasn't there, I betcha. <laughs> so long, mister. Now, don't forget I'm gonna marry you when you grow up. <laughs> gonna marry me when I grow up. <laughs> when I grow up? Hey, did she say that? Why, now, that... Now, calm yourself. Calm yourself. We're almost home. Oh. Oh, there's Mr. Gildersleeve's great Dane. Ah, uh, he's brought you a stick, Mickey. He wants you to throw it for him to fetch back. I'll throw it for him. Here, Hammer. Give me that stick. I'll throw this so Dad read it far. By the time he gets back, he'll be a great, 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 great Dane. <laughs> there. Go fetch it, Hamlet. Oh! Heavenly days, McGee. Look what you did. Huh? Broke a wind in Mr. Gildersleeve's house. Well, Dad ratted it wasn't my fault. I just threw it where the dog told me to. You're perfectly right, dearie. That dog should be taught not to give people sticks to throw and break uh, windows with. But just to be safe, we'd better get in the house. No, let's stay right here. I don't give a darn if I broke Gildersleeve's window. I hope Gildersleeve does get sore. I've been just pining for a crossword from somebody all day. Well, here he comes, McGee. This ought to be good. The minute he lands with his right, I'll cross with my left. <clears throat> Give him the old Dempsey one, too. <coughs> Ooh. Stop shadowboxing, McGee, before you knock yourself out. Well, I'm glad I finally got... McGee! Did you break my dining room window? Well, uh, you see, Mr. Gildersleeve... Now, let me handle this, Molly. <laughs> yes, Gildersleeve, I did bust your window. So what? It was a peach of a shot if I ever saw one. You mean... <laughs> I'll bet you didn't do it on the first try. Why, he did too, Mr. Gildersleeve. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Dad ratted Gildersleeve, I did, I tell you. Uh, I just took that stick and wound up like this and, and let her flicker. Uh, like that. Oh, gee, Gildersleeve, I, I didn't mean that to... That was splendid, McGee. You've got a wonderful eye. <laughs> but, Mr. Gildersleeve, that was the stained glass window in your dining room. Why, it's ruined. Yes, I know. Shake hands, McGee. Huh? If you had to sit at my breakfast table every morning under that stained glass window and see my mother-in-law in technicolor... Well... <laughs> Well, shucks, Gildersleeve, I... will bet you can't make it three out of three, McGee. Huh? Come on, try it again. Oh, oh, now, wait a minute there. Come on, McGee. See if you can hit that little window up there on the left. Huh? Upstairs. Way up there? Yeah. We'll surprise my wife. She's taking a bath. Oh, <laughs> oh no, thanks, Gilly. I'd like to, but no, no, I better not. Oh, scaredy cat. I ain't either a scaredy cat. Oh, here, stop it, you two. Control your energy. 
The marble season will open soon. <laughs> Just send us a bill for the broken windows, Mr. Gilderson. Oh, no. Forget it, folks. I enjoyed it. What? Well, thanks a lot, McGee. <laughs> My, I wish I could throw an old stick like you. <laughs> that does it, Molly. That does it. That absolutely does it. Does what, darling? And never mind that darling stuff, too, either. I want to know what's got into everybody. Hey, Molly. Yes? Look me in the eye. Yes? Did you go and buy that fur coat after we decided that it cost too much? Is that no, the why you've been... No, no, dearie, I didn't buy it. Oh, I guess you didn't. That wouldn't explain why Boomer and Wilcox and everybody's been so dad-ratted nicey-nice. Molly, for the love of Mike, what is it? I can't stand all this stuff. Everything is too pleasant. I ain't used to it. Please, Molly, what is it? Ah, uh, heavenly days, McGee, don't you know? What? Why, this is your birthday. My birthday? Oh, <laughs> why don't somebody tell me these makes me feel old as I think of the wonderful inventions that have been made since I was born. Mm -hmm. Automobiles, radio, television. I'll bet one of these days we have television sets right in our own automobile. Oh, no. Yeah, imagine driving along in your own car and seeing Fibber McGee's face right on your dashboard. Oh. Yeah. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Right next to the choke. Yeah. <laughs> Good night. Good night, all. This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat, inviting you all to be with us again next Tuesday night at this same time. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, followed by Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.